0: So today, I would like to ask this question, who do we serve? And I don't mean, who do you serve? Do you really serve God, or do you serve material things, or is there things in your life before God? No, hopefully we're kind of beyond that, and most of us feel that we're servants of God. He's our Lord and our Savior. But then, who is He? What is His nature? What is His character? Who is this God that we serve? And the reason that this question is so important in today's day and age is because we are bombarded every day with opinions, aren't we? All the time, because of all technology and everything else. we got so many, you're hearing opinions every day on everything from politics, of course, to morals, to life, to is God real or isn't he? And how come he's, this happens? and how come, We're just bombarded with opinions. And it's kind of sad because I don't know about you, but I'm to the point where I just really don't believe anything that I see on TV or hear in the news or social media or anything, right? Because just about all of it is either someone's opinion or someone's agenda, right? And that's frustrating. And in a way, that's scary. I think of my grandkids growing up in this world when, how do you know what's true and what's not? And you're bombarded with all these opinions and ideas and where in the world is their base and where's their root? Well, we know where the base is, Right? And so that's what we got to dig into, and we got to go by that. We have to have something that's really truth. And uh, so many people say, well, that's not my truth. That doesn't change what truth is. I can hold a bowling ball and say all the time, you know, I really believe that's a feather. That's my truth. It's not a feather. It's a bowling ball, right? So we got to go to what is true truth and dig into that. So I want to do that today. So having an opinion about who God is is really nothing new. I remember back in, I think it was the late 90s, how many of you remember Jesse Ventura? (laughs) The guy had a couple of opinions, didn't he? (laughs) He was the WWE wrestler who decided he wanted to be a politician and was elected the governor of Minnesota, very outspoken, very opinionated, a professed atheist, and I remember, I think it was the David Letterman show, one of those talk shows he was on uh, and being interviewed, and the... Topics shifted from politics to religion and God, and he was asked about his belief in God. Here's what Jesse Ventura said. He said, I think God and organized religion is a crutch for the weak-minded, and I'm not weak-minded. Oof. That's a tough opinion about God, isn't it? He felt that pff, that's just for sissies, kind of his opinion. He thought Jesse Ventura was too big and strong for didn't need God. Tough opinion about God, <clears throat> so it's nothing new. Of all the opinions we hear, we have we know that people have some of them have the opinion that God is maybe a uh, mean or maybe abusive father figure, just up there waiting for us to mess up. You better be perfect, or I'm going to kick you right into hell. You know, sometimes that's their opinion. God must be because of the things that they observe. Some people take it the opposite direction and go, "Oh no 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 no, God is a God of love. He loves everybody." He will not send anybody to hell. He's a loving God. We're all going to heaven anyway. It's just fine. Well, he is a loving God. But then what does that say about his other characteristics, like holiness, purity, righteousness? Can those characteristics accept evil and tolerate evil? Well, no. Light and darkness cannot exist in the same place. That's not possible. So we know that's not true either, right? So that's a tough thing. Who is God? What is his character? What is his nature? It's a tough deal. That brings up the tough questions we talked about earlier. Like, okay, if he is a God of love, then why does X happen? Why is there sickness? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Uh, This was a big question after 9-11 happened. I remember that. A lot of people were asking, you know, thousands of people were killed and maimed for life and families just torn apart and it was horrible tragedy, and so many people said, if God is a God of love, how could he allow this terrible thing to happen? Well, we're not going to get into that today, really, but I can tell you, in a nutshell, God is a God of love, and he loved us so much, he wanted us to have a choice, to have a free will to choose to serve him or not. He didn't want to create a bunch of robots that all we, the only choice we had is, oh, yeah, oh, what fulfillment would there be in that for him, right? So He wanted us to have a choice. So if we have a choice, there has to be something to choose from, Right? There has to be good, there has to be evil. And some people made a very, very bad choice, in my opinion, Then they decided to hijack some planes and fly them into the Twin Towers, and that's why that happened, because we have free will and free choice, in a quick nutshell. But anyway, so there's all these opinions about God, and does he exist or does he not? So I wanted to read a few to you. I found this debate online, and the question of the debate was, does God exist? And it's interesting, there was thousands of replies to this and opinions on this. Some very good saying, God exists, I know so, because I have a personal relationship with him, and yada, yada, yada. And then people would come back, that doesn't prove anything to me, where are your facts? And then people would try and logically, with human logic, prove that God exists, and others would say, no, he doesn't, and it's pretty interesting. But I wanted to read to you some of the opinions about if God exists or not. This person says, if God existed, we wouldn't. It's that simple. If the definition of God is a maximally great being that is maximally powerful, good, loving, and just, there would be no maximally good reason to create anything. That would just degrade the perfection. It's all perfectly logical. The fact is, God was just a primitive, uninformed answer for what ancient civilizations couldn't explain. It survives only because it is control for those in power over those who either wish to be controlled or are powerless to prevent it. Any strong opinion on God, right? This next person says, no, God does not exist. The fact that people still believe in an imaginary friend from 2,000 years ago is just an insult to human intellect. There's no proof of God, therefore, he doesn't exist until further information proves otherwise. Yes, evolution is a theory, but so is gravity. And as for the creation story told by Christians, it doesn't even make sense. I truly hate religion. Religion makes people do evil things. Abraham almost killed his son because God told him to. More people have been killed in the name of God than in both world wars, including victims of the Holocaust. The Old Testament supports mass genocide, slavery, and even killing your neighbor if he works on the Sabbath. So no, I do not believe in this God, nor would I want this tyrant to exist. If you can accept these things, then I wouldn't want to be you. And I definitely will not support fictional literature or an imaginary man who instructed some guys to write a fairy tale. Hmm. Kind of strong, huh? This next person says, he makes himself difficult to believe in. Everyone would be ecstatic if a loving God existed who cared about us all and let us live blissfully on this planet and later on in heaven. But a few problems. Which God is real? There are so many religions. Why can't God make himself more obvious and bring evidence? Why can't he give justice to the world? Why is he happy letting innocent people suffer, but awful people get all they want in life? God to me is nothing but a comfort for everyone who can't accept that he probably doesn't exist. And if he does, he wouldn't throw people who don't believe him in hell if they were genuinely good people at heart. Sounds logical in some ways. And sometimes you start reading all this and you go, huh, logically that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? In fact, even one of the greatest minds in history, Albert Einstein, had some opinions about God. Uh, He was obviously one of the greatest minds in history. His methods of discovery and his theories and the things he came up with have so affected to this day uh, our knowledge of physics and science and many, many things. And he was asked um, about his beliefs in an interview one time, and here's what he said. He said, it was, of course, a lie what you read about my religious convictions, a lie which is being systematically repeated. I do not believe in a personal God, and I've never denied this, but expressed it very clearly. If something is in me which can be called religious, then it is the unbounded admiration for the structure of the world so far as our science can reveal it. So he said he doesn't believe in a personal God. Doesn't mean he doesn't believe in a God, and and actually he was even though he denies it, you'll see that here too, somewhat, he was more towards what's called a pantheist, or loose translation of a pantheist is someone who doesn't believe in a personal or an existing God, but that God is, the universe itself is God, and he's expanding himself and improving himself. Therefore, we're part of the universe, so kind of we're God too, we're part of the whole thing. That's kind of what he leaned towards in his, in his beliefs, if there is a God. But then later on in the same interview, the question was asked, well, Albert, what if... Humans' brains are too limited to understand this great God, but he does exist. What do you think about that? And what he said was pretty profound. First of all, he says, your question is the most difficult in the world. It's not a question I can answer simply with a yes or no. I'm not an atheist, and I don't think I can call myself a pantheist. Now this, check this out. He says, we are in the position of a little child entering a huge library filled with books in many languages. The child knows that someone must have written those books. It does not know how. It does not understand the languages in which they're written. The child dimly suspects a mysterious order in the arrangement of the books, but doesn't know what it is. That, it seems to me, is the attitude of even the most intelligent human being toward God. We see the universe marvelously arranged, and obeying certain laws, but we only dimly understand these laws. Our limited minds grasp the mysterious force that moves the constellation. I feel like that sometimes. Do you? We're this little kid in this huge... How are we supposed to understand this big thing? And that's the point. How can we understand God? How can we understand a God who breathes into existence constellations and the universe and all of this stuff that's just bigger than we can even imagine... And everything around us, and us, our human bodies. He put the blood that flows and carries oxygen to everywhere it needs to in our bodies, and the lungs that takes in the air and separates the oxygen and puts it into the blood, and the bones and muscles that perfectly move. And then, our brains that can reason and think and have logic, and he created them to be creative and intelligent and logical. And we can communicate, and we can see colors and smell things. And God created that, how are our limited brains who are limited by time and space understand this God who lives outside of the confines of time and space? He's great and huge and hard to understand, isn't he? But I want you to understand today the great and tremendous lengths that he has gone to and goes through to reveal himself to us so that we can understand and see his character. It is incredible. How do we miss this once we start looking at it? the links that he goes to constantly to reveal to us and help us to understand with our limited understanding as much as we can, this great God. All of these opinions that we have been talking about here and that we read have uh, one common thread and one common flaw. What are they based on? They're based on a limited human knowledge of looking at the creation and observing things. God created our brains to be logical and to reason and to come up with solutions, didn't he? So that's what we want to do is come up with solutions. So based on a limited distant vision of something, their opinions about God, they don't go to the source. I would say that most of them are not based on personal experience, not really, not being immersed in God, right? And that's the problem. I want you to understand it like this. Let's imagine we are back in Albert Einstein's day or really any time before we had the internet and television and all these things to see what's going on all around the world. And let's say that I have never been to the ocean before. And uh, I've heard some stories about the ocean. I've heard people talk about how salty the water is and how deep and vast the ocean is and all the crazy creatures that are in the ocean, right? But I've never been there, and so I don't know that. But in my travels one time, I get to go on top of a mountain that's 10 miles from the ocean. I look down, I can see the ocean out there afar. So now I've seen the ocean. Wow, it's incredible. It is, it's huge. It's ridiculous. But then I come back and I submit to you, hey, I've seen the ocean. And you know i I submit to you that some people say that it's salty. There's salt water in the ocean. What, is there some big guy in the sky with a salt shaker or something? Where would the salt come from? That's ridiculous. Looking at it, I saw it, it looks clear, it looks just like any other lake I've seen, it looks like it's clear, odorless, colorless, tasteless water, so I have no reason to believe they're salt, and so the ocean is not salty. And they say how deep and how vast it is. I saw no evidence whatsoever that it's deeper than five feet, the whole ocean. There's no reason for me to believe that the ocean floor goes down and it gets deeper and everything like that. That's silly. And then, the crazy imagination of these people talking about all these creatures in the ocean, these Like, imagine an octopus, this thing they call, with all these tentacles and suction cups. Who ever saw anything like that? That's harder to believe in than dragons, right? I did see some look-like fish jumping in the ocean. I would imagine there's fish in it, just like any other body of water I've been to. So it's not salty. It's not deep and vast. There's not all these. That's ridiculous. I have no reason to believe that, no evidence to suggest that that's true. Would you believe me? Well, of course, nowadays you will not because you've at least seen pictures and videos and everything of the ocean and all that. But back in that, can you see where I would come to that conclusion? Looking from afar, no reason to believe these other things are true. That's ridiculous. What an imagination some people have. But I can tell you that I have been to the ocean many times. I love the ocean. I love everything about it. I love to surf. I love to snorkel. I love to dive. I love everything about the ocean. I have dove into the ocean and went... that's salty. I know it's salty because I've been there. I've dove into it. I've experienced it. I've seen how deep, it's a little deeper than five feet. I can tell you that for sure. And I've seen, I've been able to snorkel and see just all kinds of variety of uh, fish and and creatures. Wow. That's not someone's imagination. That's real. And I can tell you that because I've been there. So you can't tell me any different. That's the difference between an opinion from afar, an opinion based on the source and through personal experience. That's what we need, right? We need to dive in. We need to immerse ourselves. God, who are you? Then we'll know the truth, right? So I want to do that today. I want to dive into the, the scriptures. And what I want you to understand, again, is how desperately God is trying to reveal himself and his character to us. So before we do that, let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for your word and for your Holy Spirit that reveals things to us. I thank you for how personal you really are, how much you want to know each and every one of us, and want us to know you for who you really are, God. And I pray today as we dig into this that you would help us to see that. Open our spiritual eyes to see who you are, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've established that God is crazy huge and super hard to understand, and we really have to work to understand him, and we've got 20 minutes or so to figure out who he is, so we better get to work. Let's start. What I did here is is I thought, okay, let's do this. Let's start in the Old Testament. Let's just grab some scriptures, and I just started pulling out passages of scriptures, Because I want you to see that pretty much any scripture in the Bible, you can look at and read. And if you're looking at it with the heart of God, I really want to know you. It'll reveal something about his character to you. So we're going to start in Psalm. We're going to read Psalm 139 verses 1 through 6 and see what it tells us. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you've laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So what do these verses tell us about the nature of God? He is an incredibly personal God, isn't he? Intensely personal. He knew everything about you before he existed. He knows every word that comes out of your mouth before it ever did. He, he pays attention to when you sit down and when you get up. He knows when you go out and when you come in. He is an intensely personal God interested in you in a very personal way. Wow. I like the God of the universe that created all the billions of people that is inter, interested in you. Very personal God. Let's skip down to uh, verses 13 through 18 of that same chapter. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God created you for a specific Purpose and in a specific way, a new every day of your life before you were ever born. That's what it tells me about his nature. Wow, that's incredible. And he's deeply concerned about your everyday life, everything about it. It's amazing. We need to pay attention to that, don't we? So let's jump forward into the New Testament and see what we can grab out of there. I know we're skipping over stuff, but the we got to get through a lot of stuff today. So Matthew 11, we're going to read verses 20 through 24. Now, this is going to be a little different. Pay attention to what you get about the nature of God out of this. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. A little different tone there. Does he seem maybe mean or vindictive here? That's kind of different, isn't it? But the thing is, if you, we don't have time to, but if you read the whole chapter and look at what he's really talking about here, and we are going to go further so we can actually see the heart of God in this situation, you'll understand it. But what I see in this portion is a protective, brokenhearted father. He says, man, I did all these miracles to show you, I'm doing everything I can to show you that I'm your Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm your hope. And you just kind of go, me. Ah, he's frustrated, obviously, because he's trying so much to reveal himself to them. And then just whatever. It, to me, it's like the father that says, son, I gave you a stable home environment. I always supported you and everything. I, gave it, I bought you a car so you could get a good start and get a job. I paid for your college tuition. And you're squandering it away. You're doing things that are going to make your life miserable. Ah, protective, loving Father. That's what I see of the nature of God in this. It's amazing. And then as we go, we're going to read the next two verses, and this is interesting too. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Huh. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. So what's that? Is that in God's nature to hide things from us and keep us from knowing the truth? Ha, ha, ha. No. What he's saying is, the wise and learned, man, you're kind of like Jesse Ventura. (laughs) You're just hard and you don't listen. You think you know it all anyway. But those that come to him like a little child and humble themselves. Remember last year sometime I preached about uh, coming to God as a little child. He said, unless you come to me as a little child, you will never see the kingdom of God. This tells me that he loves when we come to him with a humble heart and say, no, God, I don't know it all. Help me, teach me, show me who you are. And then he pours out himself and reveals himself to us. Wow, so that's what God loves. That's what I want to do. And we can see that this is as hard as we finish out the chapter. Let's go to the last couple of verses of this chapter, just a couple, couple verses down. And here's his goal in all this. He's a protective, loving father saying, no, you're going the wrong way because here's what I want. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You'll find rest for your souls. He's gentle, humble, loving. He's doing everything he can to draw us to himself so that we can experience that and be with him. All right. Let's uh, go back, actually, to chapter 9 of Matthew and let's read verses 10 and thir- ten through 13 and just grab something else here. See what we can pull from this section of scripture. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his the disciples, "Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So in those days tax collectors were kind of the scum of the earth. They were known for they made their living by overcharging. That's how they made extra money and ripping people off. And so in that day sinner tax collector same thing. You know, it was kind of looked down on. So they asked Jesus, "Why are you eating with these scum of the earth?" And I love what he said. The healthy don't need a doctor, the sick do. So that shows his compassion. He came in to have compassion on those who needed him and to try and reach them. I love Mark Oswald always says, just one more. Give me one more, Jesus. I got to take one more person with me to heaven. Uh, And I just love that that's God's heart. Just one more. Come on, just one more. He wants us all to be with him. So then let's skip down to verses 35 and 38 of that same chapter. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Man, I wish I could have been there. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. So, as God looked at this crowd of people who were messed up, man, they were messed up. What was his attitude towards them? You losers, man, why don't you get it together? Is that what it says? No, that probably would have been my view of them. Like, ah, man, get it together. No, he said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion and mercy on them. Now, I like that he used the analogy of sheep and a shepherd, and why would he do that? This is the next thing we're going to get to and see how often in the Bible Jesus tries to reveal himself to us and uses things that we understand to understand something that's almost out of our reach, right? Because sheep, we all know what sheep are, right? And we can imagine sheep without a shepherd just going every which direction and getting picked off by wolves and bears and who knows what, and that's a horrible thing or sheep. So that was God's vision of the people. Not, you're messed up. It was like, man, they're like sheep without a shepherd. I want to bring them in. He has compassion on them. And that was always his his thing. He had tremendous compassion on the downtrodden, the less fortunate, the desperate, and the hurting. That's who he reached out to. It's amazing to me. So we're learning about God's character. Let's jump into Revelation because I want you to see that even in Revelation, which sometimes seems to be a mystical book all about end times and all of this stuff. God is constantly revealing his character and his nature to us. Revelation 21 verses 2 through 4. This is after the tribulation when God is creating the new heavens and the new earth and all that and all that's happening. And here's what it says. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, For the old order of things has passed away. And that sounds good, doesn't it? That reveals to me that that is the ultimate goal of our God. That reveals a lot about his nature. That's what he wants. That's 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 what he created us for. That is worth going through this life for. That is worth waiting for, isn't it? So God's most biggest desire is to be with us, to dwell with us, and be with us. And that's what he wants. And that's why he's waiting so long to return. He wants everyone possible to have a chance to get to know him. Just one more. Just one more. That's the heart of our God. That's the nature of our God. He's constantly trying to reveal to us his nature uh, in everything. If we just look at it that way. So I know we've been skipping through a lot of stuff here, but I just hope you get the point that wherever you look, everywhere, God's revealing his nature to us and his, uh, everything about him. I'm going to jump quickly into John and read eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 12, because I want to give a couple quick examples of how God uses familiar things to help us understand him. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he calls himself a light. So can we see him like we see the sun or like we look up and see that light? Can we see him? Well, no. Well, then why does he call himself a light? Well, we all know what light does, don't we? If it's dark out and you have a flashlight, what does it do? Shows the way. It takes things that are shadows and vague images and reveals them for what they are, doesn't it? It exposes things. It reveals things. Oh, that's what light. So that's what he is to us. He's the light of the world. He exposes things for what they are and reveals the truth and points the way. Hey, I can get that. Now we can understand that portion of God's nature, right? One more. Let's go to John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So is God edible now? I mean, he calls himself bread. What? That just doesn't make sense. We're all familiar. We know what bread is, right? How many of you have ever been hungry? You might be hungry right now. I don't know. I am. (laughs) We know what bread is. We know what it's like to be hungry. And he's the bread. That's what's missing in my life. That's that hunger. That's desire that's in us for God to know him. We're hungry for the bread of life. And I know we have all experienced being filled, satisfied, rejuvenated, strengthened from food, haven't we? That's what he is. He's the bread of life. He fills us. He strengthens us, rejuvenates us. Ah, it's fantastic. Now we can understand that portion of God's nature. And what happens even after you eat a big meal four hours later, or sometimes an hour later for me? (laughs) You're hungry again, right? You can't just eat and then, oh, I'm good for the month. No, you've got to continually be taking more. He's the bread of life. Now we can understand that because it's something we're familiar with. He's the bread of life. I need to keep partaking, and he's going to fill me and satisfy my hunger and strengthen me. It's so cool how he uses these examples of familiar things for us to understand who he is. Please understand that, that he's constantly trying, going to such great lengths to reveal his nature to us. If we'll just look and listen to all the outside opinions, go to the source, because that's where the truth is. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come on down. And I'm going to read for you a statement that really means a lot to me and hopefully helps you to see it more, the great lengths he goes to to reveal himself to us. This is, uh, I don't know if you know who Jay John is. He's a British evangelist that I love listening to because, he, man, he has a, a way with words. Powerful evangelist, anointed by God. Someone told me last night that... The, he reminds them of Mr. Bean. <laughs> and in a way, he does. He's got that British accent and his accent. He does. But man, powerful speaker and has got some great things to say. And I heard this uh, a while ago from him and I thought, wow, that, that's it. That just gives us so many examples of how God tries to reveal himself to us. So I want to read this for you today. He said, I love it when you read the Bible and you read about Jesus, you read about who he was and what he did and who he is. It's amazing. There's so many different images in the Bible to help us capture it. Jesus is the bread of life, so that bakers can understand. Jesus is the water of life, so plumbers can understand. Jesus is the the light of the world, so electricians can understand. Jesus is the cornerstone, so that architects can understand. Jesus is the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, so that astronomers can understand. Jesus is the hidden treasure so that bankers can understand. Jesus is the life so that biologists can understand. Jesus is the great physician so that doctors and nurses can understand. Jesus is the good teacher so that educators can understand. Jesus is the lily of the valley so that florists can understand. Jesus is the rock of ages so that geologists can understand. Jesus is the true vine so that horticulturists can understand. Jesus is the righteous one so that judges can understand. Jesus is the pearl of great price so that jewelers can understand. Jesus is wisdom so that philosophers can understand. Jesus is the word so that actors can understand. Jesus is the good shepherd so that farmers can understand. Jesus is the alpha and the omega so that scientists can understand. Jesus is the king of kings so that royalty can understand. Jesus is the way so that traffic wardens can understand. Jesus is the truth so that politicians can understand. Hopefully. Jesus is the resurrection so that funeral directors can understand. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. Isn't that amazing? And even that is a short list of all the ways he tries to reveal himself to us, all the ways he relates to us in common, understandable things. If we just look for it, how can we miss all this? So here's what I want to encourage you to do. As you study God's word, first of all, study God's word. Dig in, pray, talk to him, read his word. Ask him every time. I don't care what the scriptures you happen to reading. Say, God, reveal something to me about yourself. And He will. You can take any of the script and it will reveal something about his character. Then you will be diving into the ocean. Then you'll be getting to know the real God instead of all these opinions and logic that you're bombarded with. And you'll have the real experience for yourself. Praise God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you're so real, so intensely personal, and so intensely interested in knowing us in a personal way. And revealing yourself to us so that we can know you in such a personal way, God. Just thank you for the power in that and for how when we do, your Holy Spirit fills us. And I pray that you would just inspire us every week and every day just to get to know you just a little bit more. That's my prayer every day. Let me know you just a little bit more today, God, uh, as as we... dive into this relationship. Lord, it's so immense. We can study your word every day for our entire lives and still be learning because it's just alive and powerful. Thank you for that, God. So Lord, I pray for your protection on everyone as they go from here from this place today. Just inspire us to grow and to know you better and to take one more person with us to the kingdom, God, to reach out to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.